the market's bubbling a little bit here. And if we get back into a situation where you can get a five-year fixed at under four and a half percent, people are going to go from, oh, I can't believe I can't get a rate at three anymore to, oh my gosh, 4.4 is a wicked rate. Because mm -hmm. people have recency bias and in the grand scheme of things, that is a pretty darn good rate. It's a good rate overall. Um, yeah. And so if that starts to happen, are we going to get this run again? Yeah. However, have we done enough to actually curb inflation? When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. Like, why are all these rich people, why is Bill Gates buying up all this farmland and all this vacant land everywhere and all this crap? What did Mark say about, what did Mark say about uh, Irving's? Sixth largest landholder in the U.S. Irving family. That's weird, man. That's fucked. So they're doing it. Why? Why are they doing it? Imagine What's an Atlanta Canadian fucking, out of New Brunswick. Well, we got to talk about the pod. That's what I'm doing. Are we on the pod right now? Yes. Oh, we are. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... He said there's six largest landholder in the States, which to me blows my mind when you think about how big the States are, family out of New Brunswick. Oh, 100%. Like how are the Irvings up there with these guys? Private, Private landholder. landholder. Yeah, okay. That's, that's <laughs> slightly different. Still. No, Bill Gates is private considered. He probably has a public company doing it as well, but yeah. he's, he's considered private. So he's number one private landholder. But my thought is like... Food scarcity, man. I That's agree. part of it. So I was big on the food scarcity because my, my, like the thing a lot of them do is they buy the land and then they lease it back to the farmers, right? And so my thought yeah, was that, okay, 100%. as time goes on and food becomes so much more valuable, these leases are going to go And they own the grains ballistic. that they have to. Exactly. The, but the further I dug them. into it, because there's a lot of like forested land as well, it's, it starts to look like carbon credits. And the other thing you can do with farmer's land is even you don't even have to get the leases up. You can just force specific practices upon the farmers and you can get carbon Ooh. credits for that. So for example, you can man, be this like, this is some, what is that like indentured servitude? This is the feudal system. Yeah, man. Huh? This is, so they could, they could literally tell a farmer that they have to churn the land or rotate the crops or grow a certain crop or grow in a certain way. Or use certain pesticides or not or what have you. Yeah, and yeah. that can render and another carbon credit doing that to them anyway. And again, where everything looks to be going, carbon credits look to be spiking in value. My expectation is that's where they intend to make the money off of it. Um, I asked one of my colleagues who buys a lot of land if that's what he was doing it for. He said no, but I, I don't know. Maybe he's not thinking of that yet. Maybe yeah, he, yeah. he's just in a position of land purchasing, but I think that's why these guys very aggressively purchase farmland predominantly and then forestry as well. And if it all goes to shit, you still make a small return on it. You can possibly sell the the pulp or the the yeah yeah the wood. well it's either that area is going to get developed and it's a home run or that area is going to get preserved which if you can get all these tax credits for preserving it that can also be home run so it's like yeah. wait you mean i get credits either rebates to my other companies or i can just sell these credits because our favorite place in the world is costa rica costa rica okay yeah yeah right. this is a paid <laughs> advertisement for costa rica. um that is their number one industry is carbon credits because like to it's costa rica. super What's that? I booked tickets to Costa Rica. Did you seriously? I did, yeah. When? I'm so uh, uh, third week of April. You want to come? You got to come to Las Catalinas. It's actually sick. Maybe. It's twenty. It's, I'm going for six days. You literally, we leave on this Friday night. This is the same night. place you went to before. Yep, it's amazing. What part of April? Twenty third or great third week. And it's it, it, the way I have it set up. You leave Friday. We're there, and then we come back Saturday night. So you're back for Sunday. You relax, and you're into your Monday. Like it's it's a nice it's nicely set up. Um, it's like a timeshare thing. Okay, we have right. we'll, we'll figure that. Out. All yeah. right, let's get into it. Uh, this is Master Keys podcast. This no idea Master what episode. We're not into counting episodes anymore, are we? Nobody cares what episode it is. Okay, they just want to know what, what the episode's about. Yeah. And so <laughs> wait, let me get me a little more comfortable here. This guy. Uh -oh. For those that are just listening, um, Chandler's got on a very bright shirt. I guess. I don't know if I offended him or excited him with my shirt last week. I don't know either. I don't even know what to call this shirt. Hawaiian. Damn, son. You really want to go to Costa Rica? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm packed. <laughs> I got my SPF 3000 ready to go. It does look like a summer day for you, too, because you have the, the rope uh, Oh, the little hemp bracelet? <laughs> Shout out to Andrew Nahas, who was like, burn that bracelet. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Wow. Hello. Uh, not much. My name's Neil Antrino. This is the Master Keys Podcast. Yeah. Chandler Halliburton. And today we are going to be talking about a few different things. One thing Chandler wanted to go over was how the interest rates actually impact your payment because it sounds like there's still some confusion out there. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think 
Uh, we people just need to understand the difference again between variable and fixed rates, but we'll go on to that. I'm going to be talking a bit about the metaverse, Ooh, some updates oh and what's gosh. going on there. That That's has the not thing? died. That has not oh died Oh my God, yet. this guy. Uh, a messenger app, a social media app for realtors and real estate agents. Uh, yeah, the, it's, there already is one. It's called Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a slightly different uh, animal, but um, yeah. And then I have some just talking points about the inventory crisis that I want to run by you and see what you have to. I also say. want to hear what you have to say about the new fifteen dollars minimum wage here in Nova Scotia. Okay. Do We're, we want to start with some shoutouts? Do we have some shoutouts? Do we have our new new followers? We're gonna get the new followers here momentarily. Um, hit me with what you want to hear. What I want to hear? Well, not what you want to hear. What you, what you, what, what do you want to know from me? Does Neil Andrew know? Chandler's going to pay me out to be a monster here. No, no. Uh, what do you think of the, the $15 minimum wage that's kind of been fast-tracked here for Nova Scotia? Um, uh, realistically, I don't think it changes too much. I know there's definitely a certain percentage of people that are below that. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like it's inflation's gone so high at this point. Like, I feel like it's not like it's going to make people have any more money really. Uh, and if, if ultimately it just adds to all the other impacts that we're having. So it's another cost, right? It's like adding a tax in some sense. Um, but it kind of needed to be done because realistically, real, realistically, there's no chance, even at $15 that you could live. Um, but I would say most people that are in full-time, long-term lifetime careers are making more than that. Um, but I do think it's good that it went up to 15 bucks uh, because somebody that's young, like I remember when I started, I was making nine bucks an hour and like, it's impossible to get any money together. And at 15, it's still gonna be very tough to do it, but it's just helping to, to kind of keep up with the, the inflationary pressure that, that you're going to feel. Okay. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I, I do think that people need to consider though. I remember they talked about it like, I want to say like five years ago or seven years ago. And I was like, it felt a little soon at that point. And I was like, this is just going to make a lot of things a lot more expensive. Um, but no, I, I think it's good. Honestly, I think probably the biggest winner from that is going to be a lot of immigrants because there's so many immigrants that come here and start in a minimum wage job Yeah, that I think that they'll be the ones that, that reap the rewards. Because again, I don't think the locals that are working minimum wage jobs that are in there for extended periods of time, like they're like, okay, I've been working here for 10, 12 years. They're not making minimum wage anymore. Mm-hmm. They're up in the like 17 to $19 an hour range. Yeah, remember when Ikea first opened here and I think they started with wages around 15 bucks and still they couldn't get employees. And then they had to go to, I think 17 and change. Amazon, Um, same thing. They started at 18 or something like that. And they went 21 bucks. Yeah. I mean, that was my first thought was kind of my gosh at this point. Yeah. I I mean, I I can't imagine like having to work for less than $15 an hour. Like it's, it's with the cost of everything. It's unsustainable, I think to say the least. So Obviously, the concern as someone who's fearful of inflation, and we talked about this, is all of these things work, you know, all, all these things cause inflationary pressure, right? That, that's going to be higher cost for those business owners, which in turn means they'll charge a higher price for the product that they're selling to consumers. Mm-hmm. And so those same consumers who are getting more uh, in their take-home pay will then find that some things that they go out and buy are also more expensive. Um, so very quickly, the increase in wage uh, is offset by downward pressure on real wage, right? Which is like your effective wage, what you can buy, your purchasing power. So, but we got to sort of do something. And, and I don't think this is that bad. It's not that big of an increase. No, I think, what was it before? Like 13? No, it's a bit more than that. 13, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I think my bigger concern for that demographic of people is that those jobs are being eliminated almost silently, but kind of rapidly. And I say, for example, right. like you look at a grocery store, it was it used to be that just like Superstore had two self-checkout machines. Oh, I know. Man. Now Superstore yeah. has like 15. Walmart has like 25 of them. Sobeys, who was super against it for the longest time, now also has them. And every store, Home Depot, has self-checkout machines. Um, and so now you have six cash registers or eight cash registers being monitored by one person. So realistically, know, they should be making it. Is, it is, well, in some cases, I really like self-checkout. Because I find most people don't, and so it's pretty quick to go through. Um, but I think it's going to kind of put more pressure on that concept. And it's not just like because Nova Scotia raised it to 15 bucks. Everywhere across the board is raising minimum wages. And so as a whole, if you're a company and you're looking at this and you're already making that transition, this just kind of expedites that. So yeah, for me, some employees, yeah. yeah, my bigger thing is like what's, 
what's the plan when a lot of these these kind of jobs, these minimum wage jobs, get eliminated? Like, what's mm. what's the yeah? Idea where do those people there? go there now? Where yeah. do those people go at that point? Because trades. Go into the trades. They really should, honestly. You go to forty if you're a junior trade, sixty if you're a little bit up, eighty an hour mm-hmm. if you're like a red seal or ticket or whatever it is. Yeah, might as well do that. Yeah, but uh-huh. that's not an option for some people who maybe have limited mobility who are a little bit more aged. Right to go up and start carrying lumber at a job site. <laughs> you know, the, the 65-year-old woman who's greeting me at Walmart is maybe not going to go up on the scaffolding. Um, I can see there's pretty, some of them that look pretty limber. Like they, I, you would know. Uh, <laughs> for any of the ones that are listening that remember Chandler's grandma comments. Pleaser, um, pleaser. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something, I don't know. And I guess it might just become a social assistance thing where, uh, on the bottom end, they basically just are paying that basic minimum living wage that they always talk about. Um, well, one thing I hope people Googled after last episode was like income tax bracket creep here in Nova Scotia and how a lot of these people that are going to slowly get moved up in tax brackets because of these wage increases are going to be frustrated when they start paying more income tax because mm-hmm. our province here has not adjusted our income brackets to keep up with things like this. So that's a real thing. You should check into it and you should probably be upset about it, but you're probably not because there's a bunch of other things that people have said about Chandler it. just paid his taxes before he came on the mic last time. I wish that was the case. <laughs> um, I got something that, and actually was related to what we were talking about before we started here about, we were talking about, you know, land and, and environmental credits and all these things. There is now um, a climate risk rating for listings that's already available in the states and is starting to come to canada oh what yep a climate risk rating for a property so for example mean? oh no i'm gonna fail this. i can t- already tell this is oh your property's gonna have a terrible rating <laughs> um so they were talking an example about a property in toronto that had a risk score of like 34 out of 100 based on heat because some of the heat you know, it's becoming a little bit unbearable in Toronto at certain times and in different neighborhoods, a property could have a, uh, a climate risk having to do with heat. So like in the sense that, okay, all right. And then they, should, right. they brought up one in uh, South End, Nova Scotia that, you know, had a little bit lower uh, heat risk. However, they had a 91 overall risk score because it was on the water. And so people are going to start looking at these what's things. What's the risk? Uh, like hurricanes, winds, erosion, erosion humidity. Yeah, rising sea levels, all those things. But extreme weather, I mean... Are you kidding me? I just got water frontage. Yeah, I mean, if someone... This has been the safest place to put your money for a million years. Well, here's the thing. Have you ever had a client... Who came up with this? And and been on waterfront? Or or have you ever looked at waterfront property with a client and kind of looked at the the coastal line and been like, damn, man, like that tree used to be on grass and now it's halfway down the hill. This is a thing. I saw the rot in the front of your house from the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my house might have a risk of someone drowning in that deep end. Um... But I'm pretty far inland, but I'm up on a hill, right? <laughs> like all of these things. And I think it's the insurance companies driving this, this big this, time. Yeah, that's insurance um, companies. It's, it's also, I feel like, from the ones like the coastal, like we've all seen videos, I feel like, in the last two years of a house being washed into the ocean. Oh, 100%. Like, I don't know to this day, you know when the, the river flooded in Calgary? Yes. Like, How do those people ever get insurance on their home again? I don't. I mean, I guess the insurance, it's, it's all a risk-based assessment. Man, and so you probably just pay, yeah, you pay rates. a lot of insurance. And the other thing is, actually, you know how they get their insurance. There's no overland flooding coverage. They've broken it out into segments. Oh, Even I renewed eesh. my insurance there yesterday, I think it was. And he's like, you don't have overland flooding insurance. You don't have, and then because I'm on septic, he's like, you don't have sewer backup insurance. And I'm like, okay, so what do you guys, what am I insured for? What am I insured for right now? Like literally nothing. Like there's, I was like the only thing, yeah. like earthquake. And I'm like, earthquake. well, guess what? Let's take a look at the history of Nova Scotia. And the last time an earthquake actually caused the house to collapse. I don't think it's ever happened. Maybe yeah. the Halifax explosion, but I don't even think I'm covered for that. <laughs> <laughs> am I covered for explosions <laughs> from the harbor? Like, sir, you are an hour drive away from the harbor. Uh, there's an explosion <laughs> in Grand Lake. <laughs> I think there was one. I, someone was telling me some history. I think something, no, uh, a bomber plane or something crashed into the lake. Really? Yeah. They were, on, they were messing around. The boys were messing around with the planes and they crashed one. Oh. Um, but that's but, actually really interesting. That, that is, I thought you were going to say it was more like a climate risk factor of like, this house is obnoxious and is terrible on its oh, energy like it's, efficiency. It's or whatever. Right. This guy's a shitbag and he's scoring a zero out of 100. No, I mean, that'll probably be a thing too. Um, but this is more about you know, what climate risks could you encounter living in this home and owning this property? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that making sense in, in some aspect. It's going to be 
It's going to be weird, though, because some of the houses aren't going to make any sense. Like, I can see beautiful oceanfront houses up on the hills that are built really well. Because it's like... Well, man, what about PEI? What they just went through during this latest... Yeah, yeah cl- climate like, risk. At some point, all the sand's going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you just get 100 score because you know your house is going to go missing at some point. Yeah. Um, interesting. I'm not looking forward to that. Everyone can screw up. My house is 120 feet away from the water, and I have six feet of retaining wall. So there you go. I'm safe. It's going on the market soon. Well, how is it? Last question on that. Did they say anything? About, did you read anything about trees? If you have a big tree in your yard? Like, I feel uh, like here, like, I, the I wind is blowing. I don't think so, but I think that's sort of implied through your hurricane risk, one way or the other. I don't think they come up there with a tape measure. Because then all that's going to happen is they're gonna, everyone's going to be like, all right, if I want a zero climate score, I'm going to build my house in the middle of a field in the center of wherever I live, far away from water with no trees around well, me. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the implication of it, but I think there'll still be people that'll pay for the risk to have the nice home. Right. Yeah, like, true enough. It's like yeah. walk score. Walk score came out and it's like, I probably have a walk score of zero, negative 10 now. Yeah. People are still going to move out <laughs> if there. If I started walking to your house now, I'd be there maybe in time for, <laughs> I don't know, spring. <laughs> I was going to say Valentine's, but I think this episode comes out around Valentine's Day. Um, interesting. Well, on that same note of weird online things taking place, have you heard of Real Messenger? It's actually... Real messenger because it's all capital. Let's <laughs> I'm gonna go with a no. I mean, I can't think. Okay, you just tell me what it is first, and then I'll tell you why it makes me cranky. It's a <laughs> <laughs> it's a social media platform for realtors Ugh. and clients alike. Oh, it's designed to help agents get in front of their clientele. Now I downloaded it because I had to see this, and I was like, well, who, first of all, I was like, who the hell would want to take like Instagram's fun? And, like, I, it's bearable because you, like, mix a few realtors in there. But, if like, your whole page, like, as realtors, we follow a lot of realtors. And I'm like, I've ruined my Instagram. Yeah, who would sign up to a social media site to see more realtors? This is this is where I'm like, what, what's the logic behind what's yeah. going on? Like, Someone is, needs to develop an app that filters out <laughs> the realtor's account from my existing social media. That's an app that's got that's, some legs to it. That Then that should be called real. That would be real. Yeah. Like, versus, like... This is literally like the fakest social media platform you've ever seen. Man, so I, love, I downloaded I my colleagues <laughs> and like, I love her office, but man, seeing, and man, I guess I'm, I'm a we're just, age, we're like a seeing some man. older people like working on their TikToks Ugh. or the old ticker talk busting a move. Um, because a real estate thing showed, like told them to do it is one of the Down payment. worst things. <laughs> oh God. It's one of the worst things. Anyway. Okay. So it looks, I'd say it literally looks, I don't want to say identical, but very close to Instagram. I opened it. I'll, I'll show you here in a sec. Um, and they're in the news because they just added what's called Real Moment. And they now have a video. And they threw this out there about 100 times. An AI tool, which helps clients see what they want to see and allow agents to share with them the info that they need. Well, basically, they were like, for example, the AI will help you find houses with pools if you want pools. And I'm like, I think they just called a filter. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's AI or everything's you, gonna be deemed AI now. Just like, yeah. It, anyways, but it, it's literally just like Instagram. I want to pull it up here for you. While you're pulling that up there, I'm gonna read a little bit of realtor social media live feedback uh, from a client, uh, and this followed uh, a post on my social media. And I'm quoting here: "Can you give it a rest with this shit?" Question mark. <laughs> so I don't know. If that the was one of yours? There, oh, yeah, that's one of my clients. That's my buddy. He knows who he is. Oh, okay. That's um, amazing. Like, I don't know that the world is demanding more <laughs> social media platforms for realtors to express themselves. Now, okay, so on, on the flip side, on the flip side, if you are into houses, this is like me with cars. I can stare at cars all day. I can I shop for them, whether I can afford them or not. And there's like no chance of me buying them. I'm constantly shopping for cars. You could do this with houses on here pretty okay. easily, and it makes yeah. it a lot more uh, accessible. So, like, but like, this is what it is. Like, so you just scroll through. This is actually the real thing here. Yeah, this is oh. the real thing. So hmm. it's just like Instagram, basically, right? And then if you it click is. on one, it just pops up the little description in the main picture, oh, okay. and then it's got the more features and this and that. But for me, I was like, if you're truly shopping for real estate. Like there's way better platforms and yeah, there's all the websites that also provide that service, but in a much better format yeah. for you. Actually, if you're actually buying, um, but as a whole, like this is kind of cool to browse like neat listings and yeah, stuff, yeah. I guess. Okay. Um, but I just don't, I don't see like, I, there, anyways, do we have our, our five new followers? I want to shout them out here. You got them. 
Oh, oh and he sent them over. Um, Man, it's, I, I really appreciate everyone who's kind of joined the YouTube community lately. Uh, and a couple people have joined the Patreon <laughs> again new, which is awesome. I'm going to let you read this. I might read all five last time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Harmer or Aran Harmer. Uh, another person called The Real Truth Matters. Continue the search always. Bit long-winded there, but we'll take it. Jonathan Vasquez. Uh, Daryl with just like Daryl one L. Uh, and then, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a crew. We got Rafa last week. eh? Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Rafa in the office. So thanks uh-huh. for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Happy to grow the community. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is, and, and I feel like, um, I, I've made this point before, but a lot of people have been continually asking about these rates and they're asking specifically about, well, will the rates come down? And I know what they mean is the variable rate because they ask it and they say, cause I see they just went up the other day because when the bank of Canada announces a rate increase, mm-hmm. people immediately think that applies to all mortgage rates. And it's not the case. Yes. It applies to the variable rates, mm-hmm. but it doesn't apply to fixed rates. So when someone asks, are those rates going to come back down? It's really important to understand the difference. Again, variable rate is set by the Bank of Canada, has to do with overnight and settling accounts between you know, di- different banks effectively. It's not directly correlated to the five-year fixed rate. That is correlated to the bond rate. Mm-hmm. And if you want to make a case for why the five-year fixed rates are going to start coming down, it's that typically your five-year fixed moves in tandem with the five-year bond yield with mm-hmm. a gap of about 1% to 2%. So think about it this way. Just bear with me here. It's going to be boring for people who don't care, but it's, it's really important that people understand. So a bank has an option to either invest in a mortgage or to invest in bonds. Because when a bank lends you money to buy a house, that is an investment for them. It returns the interest. So bonds are kind of boring, but they're super, super safe. So a bank could invest in a bond and maybe they get a return of 2%. Alternatively, they could invest in a mortgage, which is inherently a bit riskier. So they need to get more money back on the five-year mortgage than they would on the five-year bond. So if the bond rate is at two, they would want maybe three and a half, you know, on a mortgage to make it worth their time. And what we're seeing right now, and if you look back in time, like when the fixed rates were so low, it was because the bond rates were ridiculously, ridiculously low. Mm -hmm. They were like, half a percent, a percent, mm-hmm. one and a half, something like that. So you could get all these fixed rates out there around three, three and a half, even some were even lower than that at yep. different times because they were closing that gap. Right now, the five-year bond rate is, I think, just under three. It's like 2.95, something like that. Fluctuates fluctuating. around yeah. there, yeah. So that means the most that any fixed rate would normally be in this circumstance, five-year fixed, the most would be just under five, like five points, maybe a bit less. Because again, historically, the gap has always been 1% to 2%, which means if the bond rate is at 3, rates really right now should be somewhere between 4 and 5. Yep. Just as possible for it to be close to 4 as it is to, to be close to 5. So if you look at the bond rate, it would make sense, based on history and how these things move, that those five-year, rate, uh, five-year fixed rates should be coming down here in the not-too-distant future. Yep. The two things I want to add to this, everything I, I agree with, is that one thing is is that banks issue the bonds to fundraise capital to lend out. So if they're issuing bonds, they'll match, and they'll match the government. They'll, let's say they issue them at three percent, then the bank will put on its margin of another percentage point and then relend it out. So they'll say, Chandler, give me a hundred thousand dollars. We'll give you three percent, and then they're gonna go, Neil, you need a hundred thousand dollars, and we're gonna charge you four percent. We're gonna make the one percent mm-hmm. in between yeah. for doing the deal. Um, so that's the one thing just to consider too when you when you look at a, at, at the bonds out there. The second thing I was going to add is that, like I was saying last week, is as monetary supply shrinks, it's going to be harder to fundraise capital unless people are going to be investing in bonds. Does that mean that they're going to have to issue them at a higher, they're going to have to issue a higher rate of return to try and bring capital well, the, in? But this I mean, is, that's what they're already doing. But yeah, and this is exactly what happens. And so continue? The, the logical question, I just explained that there's a gap between the two, but then people are like, well, then how are bond yields set? And bonds, because they're so secure and they're so safe, people turn to bond investing when their confidence in the market goes down, Yeah. right? And the more demand there is for bonds, 
ironically, like the lower their yield, right? Because people are more anxious to buy them and you know, they'll, they will accept a lower return on them. So right now where people don't have a lot of confidence in the economy, they don't have a lot of confidence in the markets moving forward, there's more demand for bonds, which then drives down the return. Because people say, okay, you know, maybe this bond is only offering 3%, but I'm happy to just get my conservative 3%. I'm going to buy more bonds. And the next person say, oh, I want something safe and secure too. And they might have to pay and only get a 2.7% return or a 2.5, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so will that balance out? Or will that over, like, will there be more people with money that want to be safe? Or will there be not enough money in the market and they'll have to offer higher returns to try and fundraise capital? Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's you know an interesting mean? point. Yeah. Like if banks are like, look, like we, even though an, on average in a market situation like this, people turn to bonds, but monetary supply is shrinking so fast mm, and people aren't getting mm. the money they need and they're losing returns all over the place. Well, people aren't going to take the money out and put it in their bank account. You know what I mean? Like they're going to put it to work somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so right. you, would, you would expect that it's going to continue to be similar to history where it would be more people investing in bonds looking for that safe. I, I would think so. The other part of this is the big question. And I'm curious to see, you know, we're one week removed from our last, the market's going crazy. And I, you know, I had 20 offers on a place the other day, lost multiple offers on another place that had been on the market for a little Man, while. What the hell? I had a duplex listed in Dartmouth. Nothing. Nice little duplex. One came on a little bit, little bit cheaper than ours, a little bit worse condition. They had seven offers. I was like, bruh, nobody called me. Nobody called me. Listing agent does matter. Um, I'm just teasing. No, listen. It, <laughs> On it's, the it's, same team, bro. <laughs> it's been a fickle market. And also, like, your timing was a little bit different because you had been on the market a little bit earlier, right? Like, and investment properties are kind of tricky right now because there's so much cash flow dependent. Two types of listing agents in this world. You can look at their shirt and you can know immediately. Oh, <laughs> my God. How the turns have tabled. Um, but the other question, or my thought is, the market's bubbling a little bit here again, at mm-hmm. least at least locally. No, it does feel it. Yeah. Um, and if we get back into a situation where you can get a five-year fixed at under four and a half percent, people are going to go from oh, "I can't believe I can't get a rate at three anymore" to "Oh my gosh, four point four is a wicked rate." Because mm-hmm. people have recency bias, and in the grand scheme of things, that is a pretty darn good rate. It's a good rate overall. Um, yeah. And so, if that starts to happen, are we going to get this run again? And as soon as we do, like, and like, are we? This is a double-edged sword, man. I want the bank rates to go down because I have a lot of variable products and I like selling real estate and I like when real estate goes up in value, right? However, have we done enough to actually curb inflation? That Mm. remains to be seen because all of the central banks now, Canada included, have basically said we're pressing pause. Almost all of them have said that, right? The Fed said that, you know, like, so if all the central banks, the major central banks are pressing pause, that means... We're going to see how this pans out. And will we have done enough to actually so slow inflation? And if we start seeing five-year fixed rates in the mid fours or below and the market starts to run, we know what the real estate market does to drive the rest of the economy. I don't know. So I've brought this up on here before. And that the rate movements might not be strictly, well, they're not strictly tied to inflationary things, like inflationary objectives. So, like, they're not just moving the rates around to control inflation. Um, I'm going to throw, I'm gonna throw this motives? out there for all my conspirators. Um, is it a larger global economic machine at play where when they're raising rates, a lot of times it's also to help protect the value of their currency because they're reducing the supply out there and it makes it harder to get, which makes it more valuable. Um, and right now, there is a bit of chatter in the background going on that like the east versus west going on or north america kind of losing mm. its dominance over asian markets um and people starting to trade goods outside of the u.s dollar which could cause a, a collapse on, on this and so part of me believes that it's a mixture of like we're raising rates to protect the value of our currency on a global scale while trying to not completely nuke our economy uh, right. and they're in this teetering point of like if we don't we'll end up nuking our economy because our currency will become so devalued. But like, if we do, then the economy itself can't operate within, within its systems. And, and that's why it's simultaneously trying to steal all their human capital in the form of mass immigration. Well, I mean, maybe steal the human capital, but also just try and prop up our economy more, right? Like by being like, we make it so valuable because we're having people suck up our, like the money by having to use it all. Right. So we have more people here. So that billion dollars gets trickled out and it's actually required. So anyways, it's, I, I look at this now and I'm like, I honestly believe a lot of this is handled more on a global scale. 
Oh, there's a lot of collusion now between the central banks. There's no question about that. Collusion, yeah. and it's just even like... But that makes sense. This is right? like the all the countries, I think we forget, are like somewhat at war in some, some aspect. Like I think there's always someone in another country trying to take over. So it's like even if Canada's not an aggressor, they always have to be on the, the defense. Canada's mm-hmm. really soft in general, I think, for this stuff. But the states, being a superpower, are in a constant like mm-hmm. vow for power against the rest of the world. And so like a lot of that, part of that is like your, your resources, your currency, your like, there's so much that goes into it. And so sometimes I think that we're feeling it at our level and it feels like it's like, holy shit, what's going on? And they said they weren't going to do this. And it's like, they had full intent not to do this, but then things got switched around because of something that's taking place in a different part of the world that's going to impact us. Or it might be like a chess move from another country trying to, to change it. And this goes back to my whole talk of like, I believe the world order is going to change. But anyways, I don't want to go too far down that path, but I'm just like, I think that the interest rate hikes... You're going on the rabbit hole there, but yeah. I am going yeah. on the rabbit hole. I, on, a, on a high level, I do think the interest rate hikes are also tied to more than just taking control of inflation within our country. Uh, because I think inflation is going to start to chill. I just came from the dealership and he said, yeah, we're starting to have... He, he said, he's like, supplies catching up. We might even have an oversupply. So you see hmm. that. A lot of stores you see. An oversupply of Ford Raptors? How could that be? <laughs> Dropping a Ford Raptor. If anyone's got an allocation on a Ford Raptor R, holla at your boy because I want that one. Um, and yeah, so there, there's that going on. I think there's stores that are starting to catch up on the amount of food they have. I was uh, messaging someone who I think might be listening uh, about a store that they own. They sell food uh, and it sounds like... He mentioned that sales did slow a little bit uh, for for the foods that they were selling. Um, So I think as a whole, I think we're going to catch up. And I think prices will come down pretty quickly to follow. I think we're already seeing it on the trades world. Like it was so obvious my painting quotes because I went from like painting a unit for $1,200, $1,500 pandemic hit. It was $1,700, $2,300, $3,000 on top of it. And they couldn't come out immediately. And no one would beat that price for me. And now already I have two, two painters calling me. Oh, and yeah. they're and they're just drilling themselves back down. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, like this is inflation's coming back down. Like it's it's t- and they're they're like the obvious, really quick to see it happen, people. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we saw all their projects get canceled, I think it's going across the board. So yeah, I think the inflationary stuff is going to basically stop. Like I don't think there's a, people have just stopped spending the money's not out there. And a big part of our inflationary pressure was supply chain issues which have been remedied. Like the cost to ship a container across mm-hmm. the it's earth come back down. has yeah, come yeah. down like 60%, 70%, right? And so you're seeing like the waves of stuff. It's already happening. Like I go to Home Depot and a light fixture before the pandemic crap and the Suez Canal and all this bull crap was $20. Then shipping costs went up 80%, 800%, whatever. It went ballistic. Now light fixture 60 bucks. You're literally paying $40 extra in shipping effectively. But now I can see they, they've kept their price there. They're trying to at least, but I'm not shopping there anymore. I just go online and I can order it uh, from a multiple online retailers for 20 bucks again because yeah, yeah. they can get it here shipped again for that price. What's going to happen is Home Depot is like, oh shit, we haven't sold 800 of these light fixtures now. Bring it back down. We have to bring it back down yeah. to get these moved because sitting on inventory is an even bigger issue, especially if the inventory is depreciating. Well, this reminds me of that episode handled. when I, I think said this like, is a bigger, a bigger problem. Yeah. I remember when I was like, oh, this is why it takes so long to for inflation to trickle through or for these rating cri- increases to trickle through is there is also that thing where people stop spending as much and then inventory yeah. goes up and then they have to cut prices. So hopefully that that's what will happen here. Hey, thanks for listening to this point. If you haven't already, please like, follow, and subscribe. We can see this stuff and we see that most of you watching are not subscribing. Can you do us a solid subscribe, please, and thanks? Uh, in the second half, we talk about Modular Homes, this company, it's super cool what they're going to do, whether we think it's the future, whether our generation or future generations are even going to be on board for this. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to go on the metaverse and we're going to answer some questions that you guys have. So keep listening. Thanks so much. Now, I think this is a great time to consider living in the metaverse. Before we do that, let's get into our key player of the week. Let's get into our key player of the week. We have two key players, technically. It's a father-son duo. I'm going to absolutely mangle their names. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> so, Galliano Terramani? And yep. Paulo Termani, they are the founder and co-founder of Boxable. Many of you guys, I would imagine, have heard of them because they've done such a great job with creating a brand, creating hype. They've been involved in some serious, serious stuff. But Boxable uh, as a whole is a modular home company. And they're the ones that you see, they come flat packed as a square box and they unfold. Oh, so the walls unfold, the roof unfolds. Very cool. Yeah, they're 375 square feet. They're $60,000 a pop. Um, 
They have 160,000 pre-orders, I think it's it's lined up as. Now, only eight to 10,000 of those have actually placed deposits. Um, but still, an unbelievable number. Like, no other housing corp or any construction company has ever done anything like this before. They've raised $140 million. Um, they have sold, I'm sure a lot of people heard about how Elon Musk said at... Um, He's buying communities around his his SpaceX yeah, yeah. Uh, facilities. Yeah. He plans to use Boxable to put all the units there because, again, they can deliver 100 units and they can put a house up in a day or two with six people. We talked about this one time because we're both a big believer <coughs> in modular home and that that could be the future and all these things. And they got hammered by the supply chain issues as well. And mm-hmm. so they started being price prohibitive. But the whole idea was like, all right, you can get these economies of scale. You can build them the same every single time. They're built in a factory. Um, so, you know, there's a, a, they can be shipped anywhere in the world. Anyone yeah. can put them together. You don't need any special trades. They put like you said, built in a factory. So it's consistent. The quality is high. It's pre pre inspect. Uh, the ideal scenario is that all the municipalities get on board, that you don't even really have to have building inspectors out there because you know, it's built to code, right? So you don't have to someone come, come and check when it's framed, come and check when it's insulated, come and check when it's weather tight, it come and check together. the electrical. It's like, no, no, it's international code or at least national code regional code it's good to go and that way you can really speed up the process it is crazy it is the future i remember seeing one where as a publicity stunt they built a i think a four unit building in like i don't know a couple days because they just they had the slab there they stacked them up they had it going it's crazy exactly it makes a ton of sense uh because of that we made them player of the week because i think i think it might not say be their company that changes the game i think they're already starting to but i think it'll start kind of the wave of the modular home industry. They've also created like a branding thing around it that I thought was amazing. They raced Lamborghinis and Tesla's towing boxables. They've dropped cars on them. They've made all these YouTube videos. They've been very active social media wise to, to make it a thing. Um, and I think without even realizing, I followed them year, maybe a year ago. Um, anyways, they've now grown. They've delivered a few thousand of these. Um, and again, keep player of the week because it's an amazing thing that they're doing. I'm super excited. I think it is taking the world by storm. You are seeing there's lots of other modular home companies that have dropped off more units, but a big part of making it known is making it publicly accepted and public people have the knowledge of, of doing it. Yep. I think Tesla's a prime example. They weren't the first electric car company. They weren't the only car company, electric car company. They still are not, but by them bringing everything to the masses and making it so exciting... I think it actually was the thing that pushed over the hump and got everybody involved. Yeah, branding matters and you have to get people excited about the product at the end of the day. And that's something that historically there was a stigma attached to modular and prefab homes. So to turn it on its head and be like, no, no, this is cool. This is innovative. This is cost effective. This is the future. This is environmentally friendly. This is all these things that address all these issues that we say we want to get ahead on. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. They're doing a good job. So killing it. You guys, if by some chance you see this, I would love to chat with you. We would love to chat with you. Yeah, we'll be There's, your local distributor. We will be. Yeah, exactly. We will. We'll sell lots of them here in Halifax. Let's do it now. I kind of want to segue from this into something else. Maybe I'll talk about the metaverse at the end. But when I was like reading about Boxable, what they've done, and looking at them, and I was my biggest thing when I looked at them was like, people here in North America just aren't going to bite into this because we all have this expectation of. The White House picket White fence. White House from picket the fence, yeah. two car garage, a big yard, a pool, yep. all this shit. And, and then I was like, this is kind of our problem. Like, this is why a big part of our housing problem is this expectation that we all live like this. Like, it's kind of insane. Funny. It's, it, it is not just our housing problem. This is the problem we have with everything. Like, everything. What's this concept that we all get to live in these, like, they're effectively epic homes. Like our standard of living has has elevated so much, and I think people forget. Like it was like it wasn't so long ago that like what's considered an average home now, everyone's like, oh, it's just a little split entry, eighteen hundred yep. square feet. Like, Bleh. and I'm like, it was well, like someone's dream home not that long ago. No, it's because we raise our kids to tell them that they are special and they deserve the best, even if they don't and they ain't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. We, we do teaching generations kids. this. No, like <laughs> <laughs> I love my ki- kids. They are very special, and they they're more special the than best. your kids. <laughs> but you have to go out and get it, yeah. right? Like it's not just going to be given to you. Which is the other thing. Like whenever there's that, you know, whenever there's a landlord situation on social media, someone drops the gem. You all know this gem. Housing is a human right. Okay, and I agree with that. But like living on Spring Garden Road is not a human right. You know, <laughs> living in 
a downtown my home compound for or free or my property for free is not your human right. Yeah. Um, that's like food is a human right, but it doesn't mean I can just go to, you know, my favorite the restaurant fancy and treat it like an all you can eat buffet. <laughs> right. Like, so, you know, we, there's always lines to these things, but I totally agree with you. Like this, everyone wants more and more and more and they feel like they should have more and more and more. And how many people do you know that, you know, live in a home that is more grand than their parents' home, despite being in a weaker financial How situation than their parents. Do I know that their first house was almost more grand than their parents' house? Yeah. It's unbelievable. I am in my selling mostly first time home buyers, and a ton of them are buying a house that's literally bigger or more, well, definitely more expensive than their parents' house when they bought it. Yeah, that's, but that, that, that's, the, that's relative. That's, that's adjustable. Below. That's how it goes. But the actual house, too. Yeah. Like a lot of them, their parents are like, Damn. And they don't all have better incomes or more savings than their parents. That's for sure. Like some people are like, I'm not sure if this home will cut it. And I'm like, you only were able to manage $15,000, right? Like, you know, <laughs> which takes a long time to save here. I'm not knocking it. Yeah. But if because of leverage, because of this crazy world we live in, you can buy this home for over a quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that you were only able to muster up 15 grand. Yep. Like, Pump the brakes there, big rig, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> you know, temper your expectations a little bit. But it's the same thing with jobs, man. Like, it's why we can't get anyone to work any jobs. It's why, you know, people just think they should have. So the on the thing, that's why you got to sell it as hip. And this you got to sell it as a lifestyle. Exactly. This is like why they're creating the brand. footprint. I'm, I'm. I, I just came back from Quebec this weekend, and I pretty darn confident the house i say was modular and i would say most people would have been pretty fired up to stay in that like a home like that uh, sick, yeah it was right. five bedroom five bath big open main areas you walk in 20 foot ceiling like it was a beautiful home and it to me looked like it was made of six pieces um and so i think it might be the way of the future i'm i'm very strong believer that it's the way of the future but I, I just had that moment when i was watching this and i was like we have this housing crisis and yeah, i'm like well, the expectation bite. for people on locations and the way that they live and stuff like that, like is so high. Like you should have to, you should have to go through the stages. Like, I'm very curious to see how this, like how this generation is going to age and, or, or was it just the same as before? Like did, did our parents' generation do the equivalent with their parents? Like we well, go back and watch our episode, our conspiracy episode. I talked a little bit about like the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Like that was a thing that kind of came up, you know, even though the original reference dates back to the early 20th century, it's more mid-century, you know, 70s and, and 80s, and when credit cards became a thing. And you mm. could borrow to have the newest appliance and to have a new TV, and you could start getting all these things, and these suburbs were marketed as a better life, right? And we were sold on these things, and it just kind of grew and grew from there. So it's not exclusive to this generation. Like, it's just this is the children of those people. So, like, they have it to the nth degree. When does it go away? When does it go away is my question. Well, uh, this is the other thing. People are like, I can't believe, you know, I can't live in Halifax when my parents got to live in Halifax. Like Halifax was not the same Halifax when your parents, you know, lived when your parents live here. Right. So it's comparing apples to oranges. It'd be the same as saying like, I can't believe I can't live in Toronto now. Right. Like mm-hmm. things change. So the equivalent of say Halifax or some of the neighborhoods of Halifax that we now think of as in Halifax that were once upon a time not in Halifax, right? So yourself also, living in Enfield, like people living in Truro, people living in the South Shore, people living in the Valley, like those were the equivalent of Halifax to some degree a generation ago. And I remember my grandfather um, bought a post, you know, a house when he came back from the war on Quinn Street, which is basically in the center of Halifax. Damn. And at the time, people were like, why is living, why are you living way out there? On Quinn Street. On Quinn? On Quinn. Cost like 7000 bucks, I think. Um, I would die to live on Quinn. Yeah, it's a lovely street right in town. But at the time, it was like, why are you way out there? Uh, and then my parents bought a property near Springvale. And everyone said the same thing. Like, my gosh, way out there? Right? That's not that long ago. This is how cities evolve. So people so now you're going like, to feel differently about me living in Enfield in 30 years. In 30 years, maybe I'll visit you in Enfield. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I get, I get what you're saying completely. And you also got to think like the standard of living has increased so much. Cause I feel like when he would have bought, let's say your grandfather bought on Quinn street, like it would have been dirt roads come like Bedford. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like Sackville areas. Yeah. There would have been still dirt roads and stuff. 
and like no sewer systems, no whatever. Now there's transit and, and paved roads and da da da, da and it goes yeah. on and on. And so it's like even when you go to Kenfield now, it's like they have fully set up systems and all of the the resources. It's like everyone's standard of living has increased immensely in those areas. Like I don't know. So, anyways, I just again it's also going their expectations and what they're seeing online. It's a whole my whole problem. Point of this is that yeah, I think there's a lot more to it, and I really hope that stuff like this, the modular housing, can take off. But I do think there needs to be like an adjustment of people's priorities in North America where it's not so like uh, based on like items. It really is because it seems yeah. like everyone's chasing this like with new cars, new technology, new clothes. I think a lot of us fall guilty to it. And it's hard not to. I'm guilty of it. Like I'm not saying this like I'm not. But it's just like I think it ruins like your your ability to enjoy any of the stuff that you have. Um, but I have a weird feeling that these modular home companies, like even like Boxel potentially, I think where they'll pick up is like sending them down to Mexico and to alter, alternative places. Because I find those communities and those places seem way less hellbent on the stuff. Like, but, but here's the thing. Here's an example. Like Priuses, no offense to what they're like, Priuses are not cool cars. The new one's getting cooler. Okay. Maybe they're getting cooler now. They're not that nice looking. They're not they're that weird flashy, as hell looking. Right? But there's certain people who bought into it and it's largely to do with hype. Some of it was cost. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of it was hype. Right. And so I think there's going to be some people out there that are going to be so fired up that they live in this hip modular community that so is, is new. Where it's going and to if start. you celebrate, and the hydrostone that we now all think is super, super cool mm. at the time was built as dirt cheap emergency housing. Yeah. Right. Townhouses yeah. because half the city was leveled. Yeah. Right. And they need to slap these suckers up as quick and as cheap as possible to yeah. house displaced individuals. So yeah. who knows? Fast forward how minds can so change. So Boxable is the Prius. If the, guy, if the CEO of Boxable hears this, the founders hear this, they're going to be pissed. I'm like, we ain't no Prius. We're Tesla, bro. Uh, Whatever. But that's a No, I see it. Boxable is the Prius. So then someone's going to come out with like the more Tesla-style concepts, which are going to be a lot nicer. Um, again, what I saw in Quebec, like I feel like to me, it was like they had, it was like a rectangle in the middle. It was like a two stories of rectangle in the middle and then four squares on the outside. And so it was a bedroom with a bathroom in each room. So bedroom, bathroom, and they were identical. Bedroom, bathroom, bedroom, bathroom. So they were just stacked up. And then I think the two big ones in the middle were stacked up. And really? the main big Keepers, one had the big project. Had the living room and the kitchen. And then the one on the bottom had another like living room space and like a laundry storage closet and, and a bedroom. And so, well, but if, if the units are built, like they, those are, yeah, that's only, that's only technically three pieces. And, and the they other just thing multiply is that, that three pieces a hundred times and you can build that. There's also different degrees of mod, modular and prefab. Like there's already companies doing these things where they will pre-build you all of your walls. Yeah, right? there's a lot of that going right? on. There's, there's a lot of that going on and even concrete tilt up to some degree is a prefab. And, yep. you know, then you throw in 3D printing and what they might be able to do here moving forward. That it's going to economize housing, which is what we all kind of hope is going to happen one way or the other. And people have to buy in because everyone wants their own custom home. Right, like I won't even get rid of my old heat because I like my radiators too much. I want to have those nice, beautiful radiators. Are you legit? Oh, the big ones. Yeah, they're lovely, and they provide the best heat. So, whatever, man, I'm gonna eat it on the oil cost a little bit. Throw a couple heat pumps in there. I want my nice looking radiators. Don't. Okay. All right. All right. They're beautiful. No. no yeah. They are. They are. I, I had one house that had them, and I remember removing them, and I wanted to sell them. I could have sold them, but they were just a billion pounds, and I was busy, and I didn't bother. But I think I did sell a few. I sold a few. I sold yeah. a few to one place. First four were hard or easy, and then the next four were very difficult. Um, the other thing, this is where I'm, I'm definitely transitioning to Metaverse, no matter what you say at All this right, point. Let's do it. Is that this boxable thing kind of makes sense to me because I'm like, you know what? You can work remotely. Metaverse is going to be all your, like, could be all your social, and it could be your work. So it doesn't really matter where the hell you work. So you can just buy one of these boxable things for 60 grand and go plop one down anywhere. You own your own house. It's a modern, clean space. It's up in like two minutes. You hook onto the internet and power, and off you go. Well, here's not who's, who's going to not like that. Who's not going to like that? Is the government who wants to, you know, tax you as much as they can on the value of your house, and who also doesn't like people owning more than one property now, and and doesn't like someone not being a resident here because the beautiful but thing they're about still, the they're gonna, no, no, but they're going to own all that. Like they're just going to be not, instead of being right in the core, they might be somewhere slightly outside of town, which they're yeah. not going to love because usually it costs more to service people all over the place. Yeah. But, but like if the whole point is like I can live, work, wherever, it'd be nice to get a couple modulars here, a couple modulars there. I guess, you know what? I'm part of the problem because I just keep turning about like how can I make these rentals and how can I own as many of them as possible? Yeah, and this guy said a bunch. I'm talking about having one that you live in. I'm not talking about having like six me, of them. Oh my six God. for tenants. Let's go. 
<laughs> the cost for doors actually. I said it. Taylor good. like, oh yeah, I could put a, I could put a modular in Lunenburg and another one in Chester, another one in Cape Breton, and then two more in France. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, like, and how dare they? Anyways, the All actual right. news headline that I want to talk about in the metaverse. There's no good way to transition into it, but I just wanted to bring it back up because. It's going on in the background. Yeah, it lost all the hype, but that hasn't stopped people from from going with it. Um, the main development, the largest development company, or one of the largest within the metaverse. So what a development company is within the metaverse is they literally develop properties within the metaverse. So like when you think about it, you have to build out those buildings, right? Like it's not like a click and paste thing. Like they have to be designed and fabricated, but online and so but yes also the actual platform of the metaverse there's space. a platform that it runs yeah. on and then there's the actual like when you're in there the graphics have to be designed the 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 structure has to be created now yes engineering doesn't necessarily apply as much uh in the sense of like weight and stuff like that and but it does apply in the fact of like user usability yeah. to go through it and actually have it function as a building bandwidth, within the space maybe i don't know yeah. the term. <laughs> i want to say bandwidth um and so they've they've been able to do 100 million square feet already, which would be insane because obviously like you can copy and paste a floor and then you just add it 100,000 square feet. So it doesn't take much to do that. But there is a lot of design that's still involved in making it run. Uh, so anyways, this company is called Land Vault. They are one of the largest. They've yeah, done 100 million before, square yeah. feet. Uh, yeah, they're in California. They have now opened another office in Dubai. And the reason I thought this was interesting is to see that these companies are continuing to expand and do what they need to do. Like they're still building out, they're still having customers. And so their reason for opening in Dubai is a good majority of Dubai real estate, or maybe not a majority, but a good portion of the real estate in Dubai is purchased from people either out of town, like, like people who live there, but they're out of town on business or traveling or the people who are just out of town and are investing in that city. Right. And so what they're going to do is they are going to model a lot of these buildings that are being built. And so you can then throw on a headset and you can walk through the buildings. And I thought like, this is a prime example of like it, where it makes a lot of sense here. It's not gonna be super exciting. Cause people are like, well, I'm here anyways. I'm just going to come look at it. And we what don't you say it's like, they'll be there for some sort of almost like investor um, tourism. And then they'll come and see a bricks and mortar uh, property vault. Maybe place. but guys yeah. that are buying like $5 million condos. I don't think they really give a shit. Like yeah. they'll, they'll probably be like, yeah, I, I'm busy. Let me slap on this headset. So they're going to slap on the headset. They're going to be able to tour through the whole thing. Right. Somebody is going to be able to give them that whole wanted tour. And they're like, yeah, I like it. I'm, they were already buying based on some photos and some potential renderings. But you can see the irony kind of a metaverse office having to open a bricks and mortar location to sell units, right? Like you can see that irony. No, 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 <laughs> no, can't see it. So what, a, what they didn't open the office to sell from. Okay. Not to not to sell to people. They also all open the office to sell to developers to buy their service. Right. right. Because at the end of the day, okay, they're converting a bricks and mortar business oh, to the I internet. See what you're saying. I and see what so you're if saying. you want to yeah. get a developer to sign on, you have to meet with him in person. Right. Right. So part of part of like just that aspect of gaining clients. Okay, okay. But then once it's set up, no, the idea is not this guy. Nice try. Trying to poke holes. Yeah. You this is I would love why to be are like you trying such to, a hater. We've talked about I this. You hate a lot metaverse. of time you have to leave here to run to a showing. And I'm like, what if you could just sit here and throw on your headset and be done in two seconds? That does sound pretty good. Just think about it, you'd never have to drive around the city, uh, like unless you want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm true. telling you, it makes it makes total sense. And I think where you're gonna see it first is on well, you definitely you're already seeing it is new construction, and especially like in it starts in the most expensive places in the world that are it really makes sense because people aren't buying that aren't local right so and it'll slowly trickle down and then you'll start to see it on new construction projects in, in toronto and then you'll get to a point where like you'll start seeing it on new construction homes yeah the virtual reality component of it i think is is obvious for sure yeah especially like again if you go to a modular like people aren't gonna necessarily be able to see the home like you know what i mean they can't pre like it might be like you buy it yeah you're through that up, not and then up, they just yeah. drop it off the next week like yeah. you know what i mean um, so anyways, I just want to point out there because I'm just like metaverse is still trucking along. There's businesses in there that if they're run right, they're still doing it. And I think they're honestly going to catch on. Um, just, just to wrap up. Cause I think we, we, we should wrap up here. Um, unless you have more metaverse news there. You want to no, 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 okay. no. He's a hater. Um, no, I think it's interesting for sure. Um, we, we had a couple people reach out through social media and through all the different platforms with questions want to say thanks and we responded to a lot of them kind of one-on-one is there a question on there that like jumped out to you that you want to talk i'm about opening here? the questions here now um was there a question on there that jumped out to you no because I, I mean i fired back response i think to most of the people who had questions i'm curious though if you had any water damage issues 
over the big... I did have some water damage issues. Uh, the first one being is my house froze. I didn't actually get water damage, but my personal home went down to zero degrees, and then we had people run over there and put break in and put heaters in. Um, and nothing froze. Not, like, no I think burst. things froze, but nothing burst because I put all pecs. Yeah. Pep's got has been more give than copper. Yeah. So I got lucky, but like when I turned on all the taps, it was like, <laughs> like you could hear it fighting. Uh, but somehow nothing is leaking right now. Um, but then in a one building, we found out we had exposed pipes in the basement that froze. Um, another one, the heaters and hot water tanks couldn't keep up. Um, and then we also had some pipes in a building that were renovating that they just did the drywall. Mm. Floors are going in. Kitchens are starting today. And the basement flooded out because a second floor pipe broke in one of the bathrooms. Ooh. So the fresh drywall is coming out yeah, in the basement. Tricky. And the two kitchens are being delayed. Um, but to be expected, and that's also why constru- uh, construction insurance is so much more expensive. How'd you make out? Um, there were some interesting videos okay, I think I saw you post. but not great. Um, I was so concerned about these two particular units because... I've had the building for a while and they have frozen before. Uh, they're right over carport and the wind's just whipping under there and the plumbing is basically only just covered by aluminum soffit, like not much to protect this stuff. So mm-hmm. I reached out to those two tenants and I was like, listen, can you guys just run your hot water gently really for the next two days uh, in your sink and in your, your tub? The reason being is as that water goes down, the copper drains and as the hot water supply comes through, it warms up the cavity right? Like, Mm. uh, and it keeps that whole area actually warm. And then also say, open the bathroom cabinets, turn up the heat in the bathroom and close the bathroom door because it will keep that whole area uh, from freezing. And that building went unscathed. So it worked, except a couple of people called and were like, man, we have like no hot water. And I'm like, oh yeah, because we've been running two units (laughs) nonstop hot water. (laughs) One of them was in uh, actually way in Europe. Like, oh, we're not back until February 10th. I'm like, I need to go into your unit then because you're definitely going to have those pipes freeze if you're not running any water for mm. this whole time. So that building was fine. Um, had a radiator blow. It was actually pretty cool. The actual physical radiator blew um, because it was airlocked. Uh, it was really strange. Um, so this one particular radiator uh, was airlocked, which meant the hot water couldn't get to it. So it froze and it cracked while the rest of the system was fine. What type of radiator? It was an old cast iron radiator blew out the side of it. Oh, okay. So we're talking yeah. like a big, if you guys have, yeah, yeah. have seen those before, like the big metal radiators yeah, that weigh 10,000 pounds. Yeah, yeah. They're about four feet tall. Yeah. They're like, sometimes they're artistic looking and stuff. Yeah. The nice thing is you're, we're just able to bypass it. Um, so that one wasn't too bad. That was the easiest one. Um, but that came on the heels of one unit that, uh, yeah, a connection right by the furnace blue. Um, another one, um, two, two houses had that happen effectively where they were burst right at the, uh, the furnace. Um, one of them happened during the thaw the day after. So like we got through everything we thought we were good, mm-hmm. but the next day as things thawed out, it burst. Uh, one of the others, she just couldn't figure. She's like, I don't know. Like I, I've got my, I, I couldn't figure out because she couldn't get any water to come out. Like, so her pipes were frozen, but she had a furnace and it was heating the house a little bit. Why wasn't it keeping the whole basement warm? And the reason was that, um, her radiators weren't getting up to full temperature and the furnace wasn't getting up to full temperature because it was literally just pissing water um, down below. So like it couldn't get the hot water through everywhere. <sighs> so that blew. And then my property in Lunenburg, I don't know if you remember this, but there's the one unit that was demoed out and it's just an empty hollow yeah. shell where you could borderline see outside. Yeah. I forgot about that property. Um, and, so, and there's pipes in there. Yeah, there's, well, there isn't really, but the the unit above it and adjacent to it like were made cold because of that. Uh, because I sort of thought, well, there's no water in there. And like, so yeah, four, four bursts in total. All it's it, coming all out it, of a polar vortex where all those buildings blew up and you're wearing a tropical shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just I'm in vacation mode. So we're going to Costa Rica in April. We're trying to soothe, soothe the soul. God damn. That's a, you had a busy, busy weekend. Yeah, man. And I'm so fortunate that my dad is super handy, man. Like he came over, we're looking at the first, Furnace, we shut it off, changed out the parts, good to go. Then uh, one of my plumbers, man, like he's done so much work for me. He came out on a Sunday because soldering is pretty hard. When it's copper, like you're soldering it. Mm-hmm. Even if you have these um, shark bites, like, you know, oftentimes you're having to solder something. Um, and he came out and he got those. But actually today, 
uh, one of my property managers, she's like, there's water in this closet of, and we think it's because the outdoor faucet froze and so now it's leaking into her office. So the battle's not done yet. I think there's one more. That would make five. Hot damn. Yeah. Well, I will say, weekend. I mean, you guys probably know I own a restoration company. We had some interesting calls. We had a, some pretty big ones too. Yeah, I bet. Um, like some massive offices because there was nobody in them all weekend. So on top of their pipes breaking, they just kept running all oh, weekend. Oh, so much water. You'd think someone would go in and check. I was at least checking on these things. Like, hey, we need to check this place out. And then it occurred to me like, oh, my God, the skate park. And I got to go over and ch- I have to check that one. Um, and you get a little better each time. So now I'm like, okay, what are, what are we going to do next time to make sure this, this doesn't happen again? But Heat trace, man. Heat yeah. trace. Heat trace your life. It is expensive, though. Um, but the, um, the one thing I did mention, I saw, saw my phone here and this is local to Nova Scotia. Um, so for all you guys that are outside, outside of Nova Scotia, we'll try and explain this as best as we can. But the headline is the Nova Scotia government pays $34 million for oh, an yeah. unfinished hotel to create new patient care facility. I have looked at this hotel 800,000 times since it started going up, wondering what the hell it was because it had no branding or labeling on any of the fences anywhere for the longest time. And it was just That's a pretty g- typical. giant rectangle coming out of the ground. Yeah. Well, sometimes some of them were like, New Marriott, come in here. Yeah, New yeah, Marriott. New sometimes Marriott. they have the uh, the brand lined up before time. Other times they build the hotel and then they get a brand in there. Very true. And this is right at the entrance to our very big um, industrial park slash yeah. shopping district. Yeah. Um, and it is actually very big, even yeah. for across the country. Um, and so, anyways, it's been under construction for a while now that I think about mm-hmm. it. Um, and so I'm interested to see that they just bought that. Um, it's unfinished. So that in itself to me is concerning because I'm like, all right, now the government's going to step in to finish this bad boy. So prepare for another $34 million that gets spent yep. and how long until it opens. But I actually am kind of happy that they've like, yeah, they've so they're, up they're, and trigger. they're buying it for like transition beds effectively. Yeah. Um, and I think they're building a, a, a facility out there in Bears Lake as well, which people were really complained about. Because everyone wanted to, it should be, oh, it should be right in Halifax. But there's a lot of people coming from Truro and other areas that Bears Lake is a really convenient location. Um, so they bought this almost done hotel for 34 million bucks. Um, it seemed a bit pricey. It does seem a bit pricey. It's being built by Cresco. Like for that same 30. 30- oh, it was Merritt. It was a Merritt branded hotel. Was it? Okay. So for that, since 2019. That's that, what I'm talking about. That's a hot minute. Yeah, that is a while. But like for that same 34 million they could build like a hundred unit apartments, at least a hundred apartments, um, which is bigger than that building. But also the the reason I I referenced that is because I do like this approach, which is, you know, to, to buy stuff that's already built or under construction. I think they need to apply that to housing. I, yes. You mean, you mean like buying housing from like projects that are started? Correct, or just or building new apartment buildings. That's the only thing that's going to move the needle for. Housing. I like the idea of them buying more, um, like, like if they see projects that are almost complete and buying them from the developers. Yeah. The problem that they're going to face, and this is what I'm bringing up to this, is the sale recently on the Dalhousie campus here in Halifax, on Seymour Street of the building called the Seymour. Mm-hmm. It's 141 units. It's on Seymour Street. What do you think it's sold for? How many units? 141. And this was like a residential being sold to Dalhousie? Nope, sold to a REIT. Oh, sold to a REIT? Student housing REIT, based in Toronto. How many units? 141. 141. Uh, this is an amazing location for y'all, everyone listening. This would be Jeepers. like your right on university campus. It's... My gosh. If it, six is, it stories. Old, is it old, new? It's brand new. They just finished oh, it. Oh, brand new. They just finished it this semester. Okay, so... Uh, 168 units. 141 units. 141 units. Oh, God. Do you want calculator? I'd say 400 a door. 141 so. times 400 a door is $56.4 million. Yeah. Final answer? Final answer. Want to round up? Want to round down? I'd probably round up. <laughs> <laughs> so round up to 60? Sure. Okay, let's try 90. What? So Seymour Building. Wait, wait. Just how, sold how much is that a door? Ne- uh, that works out to 600 a door. What? How big are these units? Uh, three to four bed. Oh, well, man, come on. You got to give me some of that information. Got him. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought because it was, studio, I was going to, okay. I thought there I, were one better unit. Why four, did they build three to four bedroom units there? Well, because it's, it's the, how the bylaws work, right? You know, you kind of have to work around them, but it's 491 beds. And so they bought it on a per bed basis of $183,000 per bed. 
they're which gonna is run still that, that is going to be insane you know how back in the day we had the student ghetto which was like low-rise duplexes that weren't that yeah, nice that's gonna be this now thing. they're going to have the student projects which are going to be these like high-rise buildings four students per unit oh my god it's gosh. an average of 3.5 beds per unit so you basically have a mixture of three and four bed units Syphilis um, in that but that's still very <laughs> <laughs> itchy. Um, the <laughs> the the um, the it's still super expensive for three to four bed units. Oh my gosh, six hundred a door. That's crazy for a six dude. story building. It's not like it's thirty stories. It's a six story building. Yeah, that's man. It? That's what I mean. They're not. Tell me it's built out of concrete at least. Yeah, it's built out of concrete, but oh, they're, they're not. They're not like huge like square footage wise there's just a lot of beds in there yeah like Holy for me man. this changes the game and this one like yeah, i don't the government think government, can't compete with that i don't know if the government can compete and the only thing is if if now to is buying stuff from here like that how many of the developers here are like yo like yeah that when they when they interviewed mm-hmm. the company that built that work live they said their construction budget was 35 million they just sold that bitch for 90 that's now, a decent return. They've re they've re that was that was the start of the pandemic. They've re updated their budget to be like fifty seven million or something. Mm-hmm. But still, it's an it's an still ridiculous. And especially when you think that I remember a building Shutter. sold here for three hundred a door two years ago, and we were all losing our minds. Yeah, right. So, and oh, I used to sell the student housing all the time, and it used to go for a hundred a door. I I feel like it still kind of went for like a hundred and twenty a door. Like mm-hmm. this was a this one blew my mind, but really what I'm getting at with this whole thing to go back to the the hotel is just like I don't think the government's gonna be able to compete. I also think this might this might spur a bit of a boom uh, for some builders. To be like, yo, holy shit, Fine, flip or sell, yeah. build and flip. Yeah. For appraisals now, like it's like, oh yeah, I can get six hundred a door, right? Like, my so God, man. All right. Anyways, cool. Appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for listening. Keep firing the questions. Keep firing the questions. We'll try and get back to them. I think what we'll do next time is we'll bring some more onto onto the pod. Um, and yeah, let us know what you guys think. If there's anything else you want us to cover, um, we'll have more specific topics to come, but we just wanted to have a conversation about some things that we were thinking about. What's going on? What's going on? All right. Thanks guys. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did press like, don't forget to subscribe, but also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.